Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Aurora Sexton. Aurora is an artist and actress that has had quite the creative career. Growing up in Colorado, she led a pretty interesting childhood. After some tough times with family, Aurora found herself in a unique situation at the age of 13 and had some unexpected sheroes step in to help. At a young age, she fell in love with the art of drag and channeling her creativity through it led her to a successful career as a top performer. Aurora is an inspirational advocate and beloved member of the trans community. Let's hear Aurora's story. Oh, Aurora, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for coming this afternoon to yeah, spend some time with us. Thank you um, guys for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, yeah, we're excited to have you. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I feel like I've known you for a little while and I'm excited to get to know uh, some more of you today. Um, introduce you to some some friends and, and some people that we haven't even met yet. So, Hello, friends. Yeah, hey. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Um, so we're here in Los Angeles. Uh, how long have you been here? I just celebrated two, no, not two years, one year in January. So about a year and a half. Year and a half. Where, uh, where were you born? I was born in Denver, Colorado. What was uh, Denver ski. like growing up? <laughs> I don't ski I get asked that either. question a lot. <laughs> like, oh, you ski. I'm like, no, you don't no. ski. <laughs> I can. But not by choice. Oh no! I mean, I I would, but I'm not very good at it. Oh, so what was so Denver? I mean, obviously skiing, uh, the Rocky Mountains. Um, it's Denver's. Uh, what was it like for for as a childhood for you? Any like memories that shaped you who you are today? What was family like life? I mean, in in my early childhood, I had a pretty typical suburban American Wonder Years kind of childhood. I never knew my dad, so I was raised by my mother and grandmother, and they were always very. Um, you know, open-minded and supportive. You know, it was very obvious from an, an early age that, you know, I was different and into different kinds of things. And, and um, you know, when I asked for a Little Mermaid birthday party when I was six, I think they knew. <laughs> um, still one of my favorite cakes I ever got, by the way. But, uh, but yeah, um, early on it was pretty good. Little Mermaid... Um it's interesting, like, I'm thinking that's probably about the time that that movie was out, right? Mm-hmm. Right around then? Was there any sort of, in that movie, like, uh, imagination or anything like that, that that kind of was incited in, in what you identified with or that took you anywhere, anything at all? Oh, completely. You know, just the, you know, she wanted to change herself to become happy, which later on became true for me as well, you know, but I didn't have an Ursula to go trade away my voice too. I just had a litany of doctors over the years. But um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm really glad that, you know, my grandmother really supported me creatively. You know, when she read me to sleep, she didn't read Little Red Riding Hood. She read J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and like heavy stuff, yeah. Yeah. you know. But um, so I, I think I owe a lot of my love of yeah, you know, fantasy to yeah. her. There's a lot of wonderful uh, fantasy in J.R.R. and C.S. Lewis, but there's, as an adult, if I've grown, like my father actually wrote me those same books as well. And, and, and now as an adult, I look back on that. It's just like, there's a lot of life's truths that are interwoven into these stories, like heavy stuff that maybe as a kid, you don't necessarily realize 
how it's speaking, at least for me, how it was speaking to my soul. Oh, yeah. Right? And then it's just like, oh, wow. And I identified with that to then. And now today it's like, oh, wow, what was true then is teaching me even a broader lesson today um, and who and what I've become. Yeah, there's so many things you go back to and as, as an adult now when you see it and it's like watching something totally different. Especially like the little sexual innuendo jokes they throw in for the adults that no kids get. But now you're like, oh my God, this is filthy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a win-win for everybody who's watching. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Wonder Years growing up, you, you had a special relationship with your grandmother and your mother. Single mom? Or yes. Any siblings? I have a sister, but uh, she didn't come around until my mom married. So you're growing up your childhood, though, was primarily yourself, your mom and your grandmother then? Yes. And then um, my mother got married when I was eight and we moved out to the country. Um, and Outside of Denver? Far away from everyone. <laughs> and um, there. <laughs> and uh, when I was 13, they had my sister. Spending 12 years of your life previously, well, eight years with, with no stepfather, having a male influence and come into your life. And I say that not knowing, was there a male influence in your life previously before that? Or? I mean, I, I have uncles. Yeah. You know, I, I have uncles in my family. Um, my grandfather was alive and he died when I was three. Yeah. So I don't have too many memories of him. I do remember I, I used to sit on his lap and he'd read to me. And I remember when I remember him chasing me for a spanking when I was bad. <laughs> I do remember that. Did he catch it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he had help. But yeah, that was about it. And, you know, cousins and, you know, neighborhood boys and stuff. But I never really identified with with them. You know, I always wanted to hang out with the girls and mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, p- play with our hair and, you know, put on makeup. And, and you know, I didn't think of it as feminizing myself at the time. I just thought, oh, I'm having fun. Yeah, just playing, sure. right? Yeah. 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 Did, did your mom and grandma, like growing up that late and, and wanting to um, do those sorts of things, did they, were they supportive of that? Yeah. I mean, I, from they they saw that I had talent from an early age. They put me in private art classes um, with um, well-known uh, painters in Colorado. Uh, they put me in community children's theater. Um, huh. I did a production of Cinderella. I did Jack and the Beanstalk. Who were you? What roles did you play? I I think in Cinderella I was the prince. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was the prince. Um, Jack and the Beanstalk, I was like a background actor, but I knew from a, the beginning that that's what I wanted to what do. What was that feeling like the first time you were on stage? Like I was home. Uh, mm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the, like it's where I belonged. Did you, is after you were on there the first time, did you have a desire, obviously then a desire to be back home on stage? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I wish that, you know, we'd had the foresight back then to, um, to put, try and get me into childhood acting, you know, mm. professionally. But, you know, also in Colorado, that's not a big industry. You know, mm-hmm. even even later, you know, after I transitioned, I mean, the the biggest opportunity I could get was, you know, being a Barbizon model. <laughs> and that you had to pay them $3,000 for some pictures. Wow. Wow. We, we moved around a lot when I was growing up. Um, but I've never had, a, like, maybe a new parent enter in my life, per se. When you guys move out to the country, uh, so you're eight years old, mm-hmm. and your sister came on at 13, sorry. Um, you're there, eight years old. You've are you changing schools at the same time? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I my whole life changed. My whole life turned upside down. Um, I, me and uh, my mother's husband did not get along. Okay. Like from the get go, um, he 
He was a police sergeant. He, he had a very authoritative personality, you know, and he was going to get me in shape and, and, you know, show me who was boss and, you know, where my place was, and which I didn't like Did and you? I didn't want. And I fought, you know, tooth and nail against it. My mother, um, she ran a jail. <laughs> she, my, her official title was um, Assistant Director of Youth Correctional Services for Adams County, which is half of Colorado. Wow. And growing, and which was up where we moved to. Like her work was like five minutes away. And when I was a kid um, back then, I mean, this would never happen today, but she used to take me to work with her and I would go in the kitchen and I would help serve the kids meals. Um, I was allowed to go on the floor with the kids where they would read to me. We'd watch movies together. And this, you know, and these were kids that were between, you know, 12 and 18. And they weren't bad kids. They weren't violent kids. They were just, you know, hurt and lost and, you know, getting into trouble for, you know, just stupid things kids get in trouble Mm -hmm. for. Um, It's a whole different crop of kids today. Like that would never happen. I would have been held hostage. It just would have been a bad (laughs) bad situation. This was a safe place for you to be with these kids, it sounds like. Yeah. So I was always, so I grew up around, um, you know, um, law enforcement and authoritative mm-hmm. figures, um, you know, which I think is one reason I've never been to jail because um, <laughs> I know what it's like. But um, uh, but it was definitely um, very traumatic for me when we moved. So you said that he was trying to put you in place or like whip you into shape kind of thing. Did you feel that you were like, did you feel that you were doing anything wrong or anything that was like out of the norm? I I felt like I just wanted to be a kid. I just yeah. wanted to have fun and um, and explore myself creatively. And, and he, you know, had a vision for me of being a Boy Scout. And I mean, they put me in football and, and, you know, basketball and, you know, all these other sports and, um, and I liked some of it. I liked basketball. I liked soccer. But I mean, football, I'm like, why am I here? Mm. And and Boy Scouts, you know, I didn't like that either. Sure. Um, but what about all of the, the creative stuff that you were doing? Were you in any, were you still in any art classes or plays or? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, you know, involved in what I could because out there, there wasn't a whole lot. You know, we had um, art class in school. We had drama club and and I participated in those things, um, but they weren't they weren't very encouraged mm. um, by him. Was your grandma still around during this time? Yeah, I mean, I would I was still in constant communication with her, but um, but my mom was always working, and I think she just you know she'd finally found you know the man she wanted to marry, and sure. and she was trying to make that work, and and I was doing everything to make that not work, <laughs> so that I could move back to grandma's <laughs> house. Um, you know, but, um, I think things changed when he started getting physically abusive with me and, um, and some of it, you know, I, I did need to be, you know, punished because I was acting out and I was, I was not an easy kid to raise and I won't pretend I was, but there were things he did that went beyond what was okay. Um, so we had a very... Um, tumultuous relationship for five years until it it got to um, such a fever pitch of violence in our house that I knew that if I stayed, he was going to kill me or I was going to kill him defending myself. Wow. 
there's something about those years. Uh, so this is between the ages of eight and you said five years, eight and 13 mm-hmm. then. I, I think that there's something that happens within all of us that in different levels that we did those teenage years where there is something that our bodies are changing, our minds are shaping. Um, there's something that wants to emerge out of us. And if we don't have something to put ourselves into, it's like we are in collision with anything around us. And it's almost like we don't even know what's, what's like for myself, like what's going on. And looking back at me, I like how you, you talked about the fact that you were challenging, but at the same time, like, you know, it's like you were fighting for, but it's like looking back on it for myself, it's like, oh, it's like, I just, I needed an outsource. Like I needed something to, to there's something bigger than myself wanting to, to, to be and, and, and thrive and Absolutely. to participate in this world. Absolutely. And I knew that I was meant to do something big. You know, I just didn't know what. And not only was I going through puberty, I was also, you know, I was horrified, you know, at, you know, the fact that I was growing hair on my legs and my arms. And, sure. and all of a sudden, you know, by like 12 years old, I had a mustache. And I was like, this is not what's supposed to be happening. And I was having major um, uh, gender dysphoria. And back then, you know, we're talking about the mid to late 90s. Um, transgender wasn't a household word. There was very little education on the subject or medical care. Um, And so my family didn't know what I was going through. I didn't know what I was going through, you know, and here I have a man who's trying to make a man out of me when I'm not a man. Hmm. And I really never was. And I remember being on medications and in and out of therapy from the time I was very little. And I thought it was just because I was hyper. And I asked my grandmother one day, I was like, why was I always on pills? And she said, because you wanted to wear dresses. And we didn't know what to do with you. And everything just clicked into place. You know, and even my mom said, you know, once we figured out you were trans, so much made sense that we never understood before. Saying that for your mom realized, when did you realize for yourself? Or was it kind of like a, like an educational thing? I I think I always knew in some way or another, I always knew that I was drawn to feminine things. I always knew that I, I, I resonated more with um, female heroines or female characters than, and... Um, were there any trans characters at that time that, that you... No. Right. The only trans people you saw at that time were on Maury Povich yeah. or Jerry yeah. Springer, and they were always a joke, yeah. you know, yeah. or a punchline. Um, the first trans woman that was presented beautifully that I can remember was... I was 12 years old and there was a special on HBO called Drag Time. And it was all the who's who of the day, you know, Jackie B, Lady Bunny. Um, and Candace Kane came out on stage in this cat suit and just twirled around the gorgeous blonde hair. And, and I was like, I don't know how she looks like that, but I want to look like that. Huh. Wow. And, and then I started, you know, and this was also before, like, internet was just, like, starting up and stuff. So we were... I could delve into it and I could, you know, find out like, oh, that's what this is. So what, what, uh, so you have this life force of, of who you are emerging and, and, and wanting to come out. What, what finally happened? Um, I mean, obviously I, I look at you today and I know something must have happened because here you are standing in all of your beauty and, and just your eyes something. and everything. Uh, yeah. I need you to wake me up like that every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to call you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think freedom is is what did it for me. Um, you know, I for many years I was really angry about what happened in that house and 
and how I felt that my mom turned a blind eye to all the things he was doing to me. Um, Because it wasn't just physical abuse. There was a lot of mental and emotional abuse. And he basically dismantled my whole childhood and took everything away that I ever cared about. And that those feelings of anger stayed with me well into my 20s. But if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm. And I wouldn't have met the people I've met. Because I was out on the street at 13. Um, and I was... Uh, I didn't live on the street for long. I was mostly living in friends' homes, crashing on couches. Um, you know, I, I got uh, involved in the drag scene in Denver uh, through a gay support group that I went through. We met some professional drag queens, and they ended up taking me in like one of their children and raising me, essentially. Um, there were two queens, um, Trinity and Eve, who I, who I still speak with. And um, Trinity Bryan, he became like, you know, a father figure for me. And they made sure I was going to school, you know. And my mother was still involved, you know, and all that. She never just abandoned me. Um, you know, she wanted to know who I was living with, where I was staying, if I was safe, if I was, you know, being take, taken care of, and I was. Um, so, you know, from there, I uh, got started in the nightclubs very young. I started doing shows at the bars at 14 and actually 13. And um, I got away with that for two years. <laughs> I don't know how old you I find was. your stage again, huh? That's yeah. Um, but 16 years old, I got invited into my first professional show cast. Uh, it was the only professional show cast in town. My mother had to sign a parental consent Go for mom. me to participate. And a year later, I started at Trax 2000, which was the biggest club in Colorado. And that just snowballed into a very long and successful career. That's amazing. Wow. It's, it's interesting because, you know, you, you say, uh, I found this, this drag outlet. And today, I mean, drag is so prevalent. But this is, you, you said a, you know, a couple uh, minutes before this that, you know, it was before internet. So I'm thinking, you know, yeah. that you couldn't just, like, you had to go on phone books back then, right? Like, Oh, and that, that's how I found the support group. I think I was 11 or 12, fi- flipping through the phone book looking for the word gay. Wow. Because I knew I liked boys. Yeah. And I was like, well, obviously I'm gay. So I was just flipping, flipping, flipping until I found it. And then I was like, well, I do like boys, but maybe I'm straight, you know, because I'm a girl. Wow. Or I'm meant to be a girl. Yeah. That's, uh, you have a lot of wisdom and, and self-awareness to be able to figure that out. That's at that age, I would think. And and, and for me, it's awesome we've identified that there was, there was no representation on television. And to see important and the, the dysphoria uh, that you had when, when puberty started, the gender dysphoria uh, specifically, um, being able to see someone who looks like yourself, or possibly to, to show that you exist in, in the media, can you talk a little bit more about that and what that's meant to you? I mean, it's it's a completely different world now yeah. than it used to be. From you know, as far as a drag perspective, um, there's there's a lot of people you know that think you know. Um, there's a cleared line between trans people and and drag artists. And that's true, there is. But there are um, drag artists that are trans. And many of the pioneers of the art form were trans. They've uh, Once drag was commercialized, you know, and fed to the masses by RuPaul's Drag Race, trans people were left out of that narrative. And And if you live in Hollywood, you kind of understand how things work here. You find a formula that works, 
you package it right and you, you know, the, the, the biggest age bracket for drag entertainment now is 12 to 18 year old girls. Isn't that crazy? That is. Yeah. I mean, like you think, I don't know, you think drag, you just think it's like, it goes back. It's like a cultural thing yeah. in the, in yeah. our community. Well, and, and back in, think and back in the day, it, I mean, back in the day, we're not even that old. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day it was, you know, right. I, I lived in Boys Town, Chicago for a decade and I worked full time every night in drag shows yeah. and those shows were packed. Yeah. It was all gay audiences. And we we had a blast. It was fun. And I'm so glad I got to be a part of that golden age of it. Because when it went mainstream and commercialized, has it done wonderful things for a lot of artists? Yeah. But it also left a lot of artists out and behind. Sure. And, um, and it really changed the dynamic of the gay bars. That's when you saw more bachelorettes coming in. You saw more, right. more straight people coming in. And, and I mean, you know, uh, that's what we've worked toward. You know, we've right. been working toward integration, but you be careful what you wish for, right. you know? Right. That's It's like that safe haven that we had, that that place, that yeah. home base that we went to. Yeah. It was it, sort it, of like infiltrated. It, it, it went from being a safe haven to a petting zoo. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, and I, I think that's where you see a lot of pushback, you know, from, from people in the gay community, um, you know, against bachelorettes and, and people in that realm. And also, you know, um, amazing things have happened for trans people, you know, in the past um, decade, especially with having more representation on in film and television and, sure. and a better understanding and uh, grasp of, you know, who trans people are and why we are the way we are, you know, that this isn't a choice, you know, like I, I would not choose to struggle and have to go through, you know, the painful surgeries that I've gone through to become comfortable in my own skin. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a process. And, and, and I also should say, you know, being trans is, isn't, you know, just physical. Being trans is a state of mind. And some people choose not to have surgery. Some people choose not to have hormone therapy you know, and then some people choose to just get scraped and rebuilt like I did. <laughs> you know, like it's, um, it's, it's all a personal choice. And now you've got a whole language coming out, you know, where people are gender fluid and, yeah. and, you know, there's all types of sexualities and, and, uh, you know, gender non-conforming people, you know, it's, it's a lot to learn. It can be overwhelming at times, even if you are part of that culture. You know, but I think the, the the bottom line of all of it is that everybody just wants the right to exist and be happy and live a good life yeah. um, and not be harassed or discriminated against because of how they choose to live or who they choose to love. So you were just saying when it comes to seeing, um, you know, people within the community on television and in these sort of more there's more roles for um for people on tv do you think that that's helped uh create more visibility in a more positive way oh absolutely and <clears throat> absolutely because you have um because it creates less misunderstanding right because you know the politics that are at play in our country are very much about divide and conquer and gay people have been used as the scapegoat, you know, by 
hard right conservatives for years to drum up their voter base, to drum up religious voters, you know, and say, vote for us or, you know, the gays will come and, you know, snatch your children and God forbid, maybe decorate your home. <laughs> but I know, <laughs> horrible stereotype. Horrible stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> horrible stereotype. Um, you know, but now... Um, you know, the past couple of years, trans people are now the new boogeyman mm-hmm. or boogie women or boogie people that we're going to invade private spaces, that we're coming into the bathroom to be perverts or to harass your wives and daughters. And look, when I'm going into the bathroom, I've got to do one of two things, <laughs> you know, and then I got to touch up my face, tussle my hair and get out of there. I'm not interested in you. I don't care what you're doing. You leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. Um, but now, you know, we've got court cases um, winding through about are trans people allowed to play sports? Right. You know, are we allowed to um, compete against cisgender women? Um, are we um, allowed to use a bathroom, you know, or or just be um, and now with the Trump administration, you know, they're going after our access to um, medical care. You know, and I, I think at this point, they think if if they can't, you know, stop us later on, they might as well nip it in the bud right away and not even allow us to medically transition at all. And I can't tell you how important it would have been for me and how important it was for me to see somebody like me on TV and know that I wasn't by myself, especially living out in the middle of nowhere where I lived, you know, feeling like hopelessly alone. And to see some goddess, you know, strutting by on TV, I knew that there was a bigger world out there for me. Thanks for for really talking about all that. That's I feel like it's it's been relevant for forever, but now even so much more so. I, th- I think I would add to. I felt like I had to give up my dreams of acting and 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 performing for a long time because I didn't see anybody like me, and I didn't think it was possible, and that I would be welcomed and accepted, and. That's the reason I moved out to Hollywood um, this year because I finally saw that it was possible and that it could happen. Right. And I wanted to be that person that a, that young people see on TV and, and so, say, "Well, she made it. I can make it too." There's so much strength and power in everything you just said right there. There's this. Uh, it's been proven, right? Like with the Olympics, say. Um, when the first man ran, like broke whatever the said, "Oh, a man will never be able to run this fast," and then a man did it, or then a woman did it. And then a person did it. And then after the other person did it, then another person then beat that record. And then and, and there's just something about the way it works where, you know, I think from, from an infancy, we're, we're looking for a mom or a dad to, to be that person. And sometimes, you know, and, and everyone has their limitations, right? So like no one can be all those things to me. One person cannot be all those things, sure. right? So the importance of being able to see those figures in different, like, that's what, you know, some people are talented with de- decorating. Some people are, you know, good for a glam squad. Some people are good at, you know, installing toilets and, um, you know, plumbing and, and, we're all better because of all of us together. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and, and the, the, the fear, like the, the fear of the unknown has been used to hurt a lot of people, you know? Um, and and I, I generally believe in, in the good of people. But part of that is, is when someone's been able to have an experience with, with someone who is different from themselves, whether it be trans, gay, um, a different ethnicity, there's some, I can see the human being in you, the humankind, the, the divinity in, you, in your soul, right? And, and, and that is why that you see, I think sometimes people want to be like, oh, it doesn't exist. You know, it doesn't exist in insurance. Like it's not an option for, you know, 
that, and, and people think, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, no, it does matter because that all affects everything. And the, you know, when you say someone doesn't exist, then you're preventing the humanity to happen between the two of us. And I, I think that, that some people just don't understand the seriousness of the implications of, of some of these politics. Some people say, oh, you know, I, I'm not into politics. People are so frustrated with the political climate. No, no now is the time to really get involved because the politics are the policies that live and decide how we operate as, as, as a world. Um, and and I, I would encourage anyone right now, especially this year, to you know register to vote and, and what one person can do on a grassroots level. I mean, look at you today, you know, this child who was in Denver who decided to dream, and we really haven't touched about too much. You, you, you ended up in Chicago eventually. How, how did you yeah. get there? Um, I was 20 and I had two friends that were moving there and uh, I didn't feel like there was anything left for me to do at the time in Denver. Mm. And I was like, I'm just going to spin my wheels. I've got to go see the world. And so I just, I had $500, a couple of suitcases, and I had it. You hit it? Sit the I had it. And, it. and it was the best move I could have made and it kind of set up the rest of my life. What happened? What happened there? That start, what like laid the groundwork for what was going to happen? Um, I was just going out in Boys Town and meeting. Actually, the first week I got there, there was um, there's a very famous pageant uh, called Miss Continental that they have every Labor Day weekend in Chicago. It's been going on since 1980, and it's a um, it's a contest for um, you know some people like to use female impersonators you know, drag artists, um, but it's uh, prolifically been for trans women, um, like the most gorgeous women you've ever seen. And and I walked in and it just changed my whole life. And, you know, through that system, you know, I made a lot of friends that worked in a lot of industries. And, and you know, then I started getting booked at the clubs in Chicago and and um, and I, I got really good at it. And, um, and then I was put on permanent cast pretty much everywhere. There was a period where I was the only girl on the strip that was allowed to work at every bar. Because most bars and clubs are very, um, you know, if you work there, you don't work anywhere else. And I was like, well, if you want to pay me to be exclusive, we can talk. But until then, I'm going to work where I need <laughs> to work. Yeah. And, um, and, it, and it was great for me. I, I made lifelong friends, you know, family. Um, even, you know, living here now in Los Angeles, I still meet so many people you know, that I, that I met, you know, back in Chicago. When you decided to take that chance to go to Chicago, what, what got you there? What got you to do it? Like I had nothing to lose. Oh, wow. so, I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and you showed up when you got there, you showed up, you showed up and you showed up with all these, I, I can picture you at Spin, Berlin, like, I mean, I'm naming, were you at both those venues, no? Well, they didn't even have shows at Berlin back then. Oh, you know, okay. this was just, that's when Berlin was like, you know, you'd go there to dance the rest of your night away after you'd done the shows. I was on cast at Hydrate uh, with Taj Mahal for seven years. I was on cast at Kit Kat Lounge. I was on cast at Spin Nightclub. I was on cast at the Baton Show Lounge. And was that it? Charlie's. And for those who don't know, like the Baton is like world famous. Yeah. I mean... To, to be able to be at Baton and all these other places does, I mean, that says so much about who and what. And also, what I'm hearing also is like, this, this, there was a business mindset to you as well, too. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is a business and you have to treat it like a business. You have to take it seriously. You know, I mean, and, th- and there are a lot of people that get into, you know, showbiz or especially, you know, drag shows and gay bars. And they're like, well, you know, it's just a fun hobby and they have day jobs. It was my full-time job, you know, and, and I loved it. I loved it. I got to perform. I got to act. I got the attention, and I was getting paid to do it. And 
And I, and then it, you know, I started traveling and being booked everywhere. And once I got involved in the pageant circuits um, and I started winning big national contests, I would win nationwide tours. So I was literally flying all over the U.S. to all these different clubs and venues, you know, and, um, and this was still pre-drag race, you know, so if you made it like that, you made it. That was it. You, that was, was it. Thing. That yeah. was it. You know, until Drag Race came in later and kind of monopolized all that. But I mean, for you to be able to to do, like, to work this strip, right, to be in all these different places and then to be traveling and then in the pageant circuit, like, that means, that, that, that means you were really good. You're really good at it, right? I was You're all right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I, you can... It's almost like, like you were saying, like people were kind of like dabbling in it, like part time and like they had a day job and like whatever. But like if you're putting all of your energy, all of your time into like all of this, like you, the creative side, you, you have to be really good. Yeah. So like from a yeah. creative perspective, how do you approach your performances? How does that work? I mean, What's if, that creative if process? I get inspired by anything, you know, if something tickles me in my no-no place, I like to do it. <laughs> you don't do anything I don't enjoy. Mm. Um, I think that's important. You have to find um, joy and passion in the things you do. And I, as an actor, you know, I I love seeing how my work resonates with other people. You know, I, I love making people laugh or, you know, or think or, you know, so a lot of my um, performances uh, were very, had a lot of comedic elements or, or I, I just tried to think outside the box. What everybody... Whatever everybody was doing, I did the opposite mm. because I, I, I wanted to stand out. Right. And I didn't want to be this. And these things that you're doing, the opposite are things that, that, that bring you joy, though, at the same time. Yeah. As well. Um, Absolutely. Like, I mean, people think because that um, I'm pleasing to the eye um, that I should just be pretty and, and, you know, just have at it that way. And I was like, no, I want to, like, put in white oak contacts and cover myself in blood and scream at everybody and throw <laughs> pop babies out my butt. And, you know, like just be crazy. And I got, and I gained a following doing wild stuff like that. Um, and I, you know, I literally looked at myself as, you know, walking art. And then when I got into celebrity lookalikes, that's when I started doing a lot of corporate events, private events, um, where I impersonate everybody from Dolly Parton to John Rivers. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, a lot of, you know, bachelorette parties and, <laughs> and things like that, you know, and, and that was, um, and that kind of really solidified my standing in the community. You have to go on Aurora's uh, Instagram. She's got some good, uh, some good Joan, Joan out there still, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Please stalk me. Aurora Sexton. Yeah. That's Anthony has been a Joan Rivers fan for, forever. When I, when I saw your Joan Rivers, I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Darling, can we talk? Yeah. There she is. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How long were you in Chicago? Just out of curiosity. I was there for seven years. I was there for seven years. And then I won a pageant called National Entertainer of the Year in Kentucky. And I was offered a job at Play Dance Bar in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I I was at the peak of everything I was doing in Chicago. And But I was getting bored. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to try living in the South at least once. Let's just do it. Because if it doesn't work out, I can always come back. Mm. 
So I left and, um, and that was also a wonderful adventure for me too. I had a great seven years there. Um, it's where I, uh, I made so many good friends, you know, because that's, that's one of the biggest, um, most popular destinations in the South um, for queer people to go and party at. And in Nashville, especially, we worked with so many big name musical artists. We've had actors come through. I mean, it, it was not uncommon to come out in the hallway and, you know, Troy Sivan or Kelly Clarkson, you know, or um, the Real Housewives or whoever, you know, was there, you know, to meet us. You're like, you're here to meet us? Wow. Well, and you, when you say us uh, at play, you you did more actual, I mean, this is not just like, you know, showing up and singing a song. You're, you're doing actual production work Yeah. Here. So I was on a full-time cast of seven girls um, that were kind of hand-picked from all over the country and brought together. And we did three shows a night, four nights a week, uh, plus production numbers. I mean, they, they worked us hard, but, you know, we were also taking care of, very well. We were on full-time salaries, you know, plus all our tips. We kept all our drag at work. Um, Brooklyn Heights is uh, one of my closest friends, and that's where, um, not long after I moved there, she moved there. And so we became um, neighbors and uh, at work and at home. She literally lived across the hallway from me. Um, And you know, and now we're both out here in LA and she's obviously achieved an amazing amount of success. And, um, and it's really cool to see, um, it's, it's really cool to see so many people I've met over the years stepping into so many wonderful things and not just success for themselves, but making things better for everybody else in the process. Up until now, there's been a lot of you like in Chicago, like on your own, like hit it hard. And I'm sure in Chicago, there was people that, that were supporting you. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and honestly, I owe, much of my success, most of my success to to people that invested their time and their energy and their feelings, you know, in me because they believed enough in me. So was there like a like somebody who was a source for you in that time period? Uh, I never had any older brothers. Um, I always wanted them, so I've kind of collected them over the years. <laughs> um, but I had several friends I was very close with, our mutual friend Stephen, who's no longer with us, um, he he was um, my big brother in every way, you know, and he'd tell me when I was wrong. He'd celebrate me when I was right. And and no matter what I was doing, he just wanted me to do it well. Um, I also had, I had a drag mother, uh, Kira Sexton, which I met in Colorado. And um, her and her husband, Christian, raised me and like 30 other kids, you know, in their house, you know, but they invested in us. It wasn't just like the drag shows. They, they um, invested in our futures and our careers. Uh, Kira Walter got me my first job as a makeup artist, you know, and, and taught me the ways of being a professional in that realm. And when I got to Chicago, I met Monica Monroe, who was a um, legendary prolific trans performer back in the day. And uh, she poured everything she was into me. And she also helped guide me through being trans, just being a trans woman in the world, which I, I didn't know anything about. And, there, and you know, to, to be in a city where I saw women like me everywhere, yeah. you know, it was like, I'm home. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so important for, you know, for younger people especially. You took a chance on yourself. If you're not going to take on your, a chance on yourself, like. Nobody else will. Yeah. And then, and then, so once you've got that, and then you chose, 
to surround somebody, and I never heard anyone say this before. And I knew Stephen; he was an amazing individual um, who was like a big brother to you. The fact that you said he would tell, he would celebrate the victories and also tell you when you were wrong. And and, and for me to surround myself, people also they're always going to tell me yes, yes, yes. That's not really what a like, that's not what a, you know. I used to think that's what a friend was. Yeah. And the people, I mean, and I am better for it to have surround myself with people like that. Um, Absolutely, all, all my friends that I count in my close circle are brutally honest. Yeah. With me, and I'm brutally honest with them. Right. Yeah. And there's something about like if if I, if I really care about someone and I'm not just looking for them to affirm, if I'm what sort of looking for to affirm, if I'm looking to get something from them that I'm not getting from like. God or source or whatever like that, then I'm going to forever looking for someone's approval. But I can look at you in the eye and say, you know what, this was good, this was good, but this this right here that did that didn't feel this. Um, that's what like real. That's, that's what when we're stronger and we're better with each other. Um, and to be able to see then in Nashville what you accomplish, and then and then when you start having people like celebrities or other people that then are, are seeing one, like they're identifying, yeah, you've got it. Like th- these people, and there's something that happens when science proves it when two or three people come together that we actually leave changed and we create something that's bigger than ourselves. To me, it's just really interesting to, to see how you have grown over the years. You reap the rewards of the decisions you've made and who you surround yourself with. And I think that anyone listening to understand that when you feel something, like that that's coming from somewhere and you, there's something about truth. And when you hold, when you find that, like hold on to that and, and, then, and then have your feet follow. You know, does that make any sense at all? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because sometimes it's easy to be like, you know, when you see somebody on TV, it's like, oh, wow, look at them. It's like, no, 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 no. There was a, she made so many little steps that added up to where she is yeah. today. And 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 she probably got 500 no's before somebody right. said yes. Yeah. And you're standing on those no's today. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm on a mountain of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been rejected more. I mean, and that's also kind of the business that we're in. Um, well, that I'm in. Yeah. But, uh, but you everyone, get, just to, sorry, just to stop you for a second there. Yeah. We all get rejected. I mean, we all, we get, all get rejected. But I think with what you do, it's easy to make, and I'm not an actor or an actress. Um, there's something maybe to, to think, is it, oh, is it me? Because I'm the brand more so, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think pageantry oh, really, really taught me how to accept rejection. Because in my earlier days starting, I wasn't a good loser. How, how um, do you accept or how do you deal with that? How have you done? What's been helpful with you with that? You just have to you learn from your mistakes and and learn how to um, clap and applaud for other people when it's their time to shine so that they'll do the same for you when it's yours. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I think in that realm, you get so emotionally invested in things and, and when it doesn't go your way, you're like, how, how could this not happen <laughs> for me after I spent all this money? You know, but, but that's, again, when you have the brutally honest friends that come in and say, Girl, you weren't on it. Right. It wasn't your night, and that's okay. Let's do a shot and go to Waffle House, and you'll be fine tomorrow. God bless Waffle House. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and and here, you know, as an actress, every audition you go to, you walk in, you do your best, and then kiss it goodbye. Mm, Forget funny. about it. Wonderful. And if it comes back, amazing. If it doesn't, that's okay because there'll be more. Right. I've had you know, several shows here that I thought I was going to get on, that I did the audition, I got callbacks, they put me on hold, and then it didn't happen. Mm. And the more it happens, the more okay I'm with it because I know that something else is going to come along and that eventually, eventually somebody is going to say yes. Right. Well, and, you know, especially with that, it's 
it, when it comes to casting, it, I feel like it is, it's a very complex situation because they're looking at you, they're looking at the other cast, they're trying to figure out how people are going to interact with each other. So, but I think, yeah. I, you know, I think part of it though, somewhere I, I'm guessing that you sort of have to disconnect, uh, you have to disconnect um, yourself from that and know that they're looking for you to represent a role and it ha- may have nothing to do with you. It Absolutely. May be- it, it really has nothing to do with you. Right. It's you, you are a vessel for their story. And when you walk in that room, the writers, the people that concepted the show, they already have a vision in their head yeah. of what this character looks like, how they speak, how they walk, how they talk. And either you fit that or you don't, or you give them a new idea and new narrative of what that character could or should be. Mm. And then they just fall in love with you and make the character fit you. You know, and I think, you know, that's that's another reason it's so important for more people in general, but, you know, trans people especially to be comfortable, you know, in their bodies, you know, and and be at peace in their mind and their soul so that they can put their best foot forward out into the world. Because that's something that I think cisgender people, you know, you don't wake up fighting your body. You know, or or having to spend all the money you've made in your life to correct, you know, or bring in bring your body in tune with your mind, you know. Um, but but once I crossed that that line, um, my life just became easier and mm-hmm. happier, and I could actually go into auditions and not think about are they clocking me? Are they looking at you know something on me? that, you know, is, you know, too masculine. Like those those self-deprecating thoughts mm-hmm. don't follow me into an audition room. And, and I think that's what, it, I love that you said that because that's what it, it, everyone can have a self-deprecating thought. You're, for trans, it's, it's a, this is something that is very sensitive and I, I want to make sure I don't try to, I think I'm just pausing, just let's call out the elephant in the room. Like that as a society- hey, <laughs> right. No, 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 no. I'm the elephant in the room right now. Let's just cl- clear about that. Is is that with, with people that, especially being like, I, I, I can, I can choose as as a white gay man whether or not, like, I, I can, I can hold back my my homosexuality. Like, I can walk into a room, I can get an Uber, and someone can say, "Oh, you got to," you know, I say easily say, "Yeah, my wife at home," you know, like, yeah, I can, I, I have that that privilege. Let's just yeah. say, right? Um, and and then, you know, if I really have the language for this, um, but to understand. I think I would just echo what you just said as far as like to anyone, do what you got to do for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And now that's, you, you've been able to go forward. And- yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I also have benefited greatly from my privilege as well. Mm-hmm. Being a white trans woman, most people that meet me don't know I'm trans, mm-hmm. you know, and I would, um, a lot of people, um, I'm using their words, not mine, um, <laughs> you know, have referred to me as being passable. Um, you know, and I can blend into society and, you know, and not be treated any other way. But I see plenty of um, other trans women who are treated terribly because, you know, they, um, because they don't pass as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never been stopped because of the color of my skin in a department store, mm-hmm. you know, asking, did you pay for that? Mm-hmm. Or, um, 
you know, been followed around by secret shoppers and stuff. Because I've been out shopping with girlfriends of mine who are, are black and brown. And I see how they're treated compared to how I'm treated. And it is very different. And I think, uh, you know, with everything that's going on right now with Black Lives Matter, I mean, this has all been a long time coming. But you're also seeing a lot of reckonings happening within our community when it comes to um, the culture and and perpetuating um, white muscle men Mm, above everybody else, you know, in the way we advertise, in the way we... Um, you know, construct our nights, who we hire, who is allowed to become managers. It didn't just happen. We built it that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it was built that way. And now it needs to be dismantled. Right, right. And, and that just goes to, to so much why intention and to really they think about what are your actions, what we're doing as a society. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, there's an interesting documentary out right now um, about investigating the, the the case of the death surrounding Marsha P. Johnson. Uh, Sylvia Rivera is on there as well too. And I would encourage anybody to watch it. Um, Please to, do. That, mm-hmm. that we that we stand on the shoulders of someone who said this is not true and threw a brick. Who then had the cur like she was a wise woman beyond her years. They all were. Yeah, they all were, and, and they, they had an were. awareness of. The, they knew the world didn't work, work the way we thought it would, and they were able to show us that it didn't have to. But but they got lost in translation because gay men don't want to fuck them. Ah, you know, I I there's such a worship of masculinity in the community, and and even as accepted and celebrated as I've been um, throughout the communities that I've lived in, there is still a glass ceiling for me. Yeah. We got to keep breaking it. Because, you know, I'm, I rejected my masculinity and a lot of, not a lot of, but there are gay men that don't understand that. Yeah. And they're they're in fact revolted by it. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. And and that's why you, and that's why you see, you know, trans people, you know, having, um, such a comeuppance now because they've been, you know, ignored and relegated to the sides. I mean, th- when they that when they made Stonewall the movie a couple years ago, yeah, that was a joke. Yeah. It was completely whitewashed, yeah. you know, and it made the the white man the hero yeah. instead of the trans women of color that actually kicked the whole thing off. Right, right, right. Well, I what, I I think what is really important then going back to what you said, it's like when you get into that Uber, you you can't you can't say that you're married to a woman. You have to say who we are. Like we we all do. It's our responsibility because we have to keep, we have to keep our awareness out there. And I I feel like, you know, from living in my perspective, right? Like Jeff said that he could, you know, hide or pass or, you know, whatever that is, even like what you just said, like you're passable. It's one of those things that we shouldn't be passable. We should just be who we are and we need, and we need to do that. And I think like something happens when I'm going to use the Uber example, if I'm in an Uber and I'm having a conversation and nothing comes up about, you know, me being a, a gay man, none of that comes up. And then I may say, oh, well, my husband's gonna, you know, pick me up when I, you know, when I leave here or whatever. There's something that changes in the conversation where you see sometimes like the person who you're talking to, they may not have a lot of experience with gay people, with people in our community. But when you, you show them you're human, you show them that I am a person who just happens to be LGBTQ plus, like whoever you are, 
it influences mm -hmm. in a positive way their experience with our community. That's why it's so important. Absolutely. I feel like we just all have to keep you can't, none of us can hide. None no, of us should have to worry about We have to put about. ourselves out there and be visible. I think the best example I could give of that is my sister married her high school sweetheart. They got married when they were 21. And he is a Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. He is not the typical Trump supporter. You know, when, when we think of Trump supporters, we in our, we in our mind, we like to group them into, you know, people that aren't very intelligent and that are, you know, just slobbering knuckle draggers and there are a lot but there are also you know people that come from conservative you know or religious backgrounds you know that they see an r by it and that's just how they've been trained to vote and so when i met him and his family he's a lovely man and his family is lovely they're all wonderful people and i was i was very scared i was very nervous going in to meet them because i didn't know how they were going to treat me or react and obviously this is from my sister who i love very much and i wanted um i wanted to make her happy and were there people that had questions yeah but nobody was asking me anything that was rude right. you know or um that i felt was too personal and and you know, her husband told me later on, he's like, you know what? I've never met anybody like you, but I'm glad I did. Mm. Because yeah. there's so much I, I didn't know, but that I know now. And even yeah. now we have talks about, you know, what's going on in the in our political landscape. And and he's like, well, look, you know, he's like, I don't know who I'm going to vote for right now, but I'll always look at all the issues. Right. And obviously if something comes up, you know, that's going to discriminate against, you know, LGBTQ people, I'm not going to vote for it. And I said, but that's not enough. You can't just vote against the bill. You have to vote against the people who support and write those bills too. So creating that awareness though, that's what's going to eventually change right. the world. That's what, you know, is, uh, is again, that your interaction with him and just showing him who you are as a human being, right. as just in connecting on a human level, like taking all of our differences and throwing them to the side. That's what I feel like is going to just really make the biggest change that we need Agreed. in the world. And that's why I've never lived stealth. That's which for those of you listening who don't know what that means, <laughs> um, stealth is uh, when uh, trans people do not disclose that they're trans. They just, you know, live their life and they're, and there are many people that they're happy to have their sex change and um, and just move on with their life. They're not part of a movement. They're not part of a community. They're not part of any of it. They just want to live happily. But And then there are those of us that have decided to live our lives publicly and speak about these things because we know how important it is, you know, to, I think, I think for us, it's a, it's a calling to actually go out and, and leave this world better than when we came into it. Um, you know, Janet Mock, who is one of the biggest trailblazers, you know, in our community, she had a full sex change and was editor for Marie Claire for years. And nobody knew mm -hmm. until she decided that it was time. And it's a very personal thing. And everyone should be able to make yeah, that decision it, for it, themselves. It is very personal. I think, you know, there's a lot of, uh, some people are being afraid of being outed as well, you know, because back in, I mean, being trans is acceptable now, but I mean, you talk a decade or more ago, people were losing their jobs, their homes, their families. They still are. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it, but it, I mean, it was like if you were trans, that was your, your career was done. Right. Everything you worked for in your life was gone. Right. Yeah. It's a, we were watching 
Disclosure the other night, which is another great documentary. Yes, if you please, everybody, go to Netflix, watch Disclosure. It is the most transformative documentary I've ever seen on trans, period. Yeah, I cannot echo that that enough, what you just said there. Um, and, and the thing is, I want to bring that back to that, is that they show in, in that documentary, um, and I remember watching this when it originally aired on Sex and the City when Samantha's living in the meatpacking district, and uh, she buys this new new loft, and she's so excited about it. And um, there's a woman down below that are walking the streets that are loud at night. That's some of the things she said we, we would not, wouldn't say today. Um, and uh, and the, it talks about the, the understanding. It's like when you don't allow, back to what Aurora just said, what you just said is that when we don't allow human beings to work and to exist, then you're left to, 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 to what are you left with? What are you left for work options? How are you left to survive? Yeah. Um, and the sexualizations of, 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 of transgendered individuals has been built on this. Uh, that's why the death and rape rates are, you know, I'm sure you could give us some more, some knowledge on that, especially for, for women of color that are transgendered. You know, today, what that's like. I, I think that was one reason I was I was pushed so um, I pushed so hard towards being a showgirl. Hmm. You know, when I was younger, because a lot of my other girlfriends were sex workers, and I just didn't have the stomach for it. Um, but I there's there's so many more options now today. You know, I I know trans women that. Uh, trans men, trans people, period, that work in every field, mm -hmm. in every facet and tier of society. And before that wasn't available yeah. at all. Yeah. And and still to this day, I don't have statistics in front of me, but um, but black trans women of color are killed and at a much higher rate than the rest of society. Yeah. They're more likely to live in poverty. The average age, the average life expectancy of a trans woman Black trans women, especially, is thirty-five years old, and that's today. That's not right. that's not today. twenty years ago. Today. This is today. That, yeah. that, that, that's today. Right. That's today. Yeah. Um, yeah, because and and a lot of these women are having to put themselves in unsafe situations just so they can eat, right? Yeah, you know, or have a roof over their head. Which and, and I'm glad you said that because in, in the the fact that about with with your brother-in-law. That's been my nine out of ten times. If I am because fear, fear is the driving. So much of it's in my head. What I think somebody else thinks about me. And honestly, like if I can, if I find right with 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 the world, with God, you know, knowing who and what I am, that I, you know, I'm a child of God, that I was made perfectly, and that I am the best when I'm serving everything in, that was made in that recipe, right? And and so once I'm able to, and I'm not looking for that approval from other people, I can sit down with the person who may. Uh, be a part, and, and I'm, I'm already telling myself stories about this person before I've met them. And, and, there, and there may be something about their policy that like, maybe they have a small business that maybe with some of the stuff that was passed um, under the previous administration, um, really made it challenging for them as a small business. Which, which I, it's good for me to, to understand that because sometimes I can't wrap my head around the fact when someone would vote to do something that would actually cause people to have an average life of 35 years old. And, and the thing is, is that we, there's a lot of stuff that we're all working. There's a lot of good humanity out there, is what I'm trying to say. And but where I don't, where we can't negotiate is on, on, on the value of someone's life as a human being. Um, but if we're not having conversations and we're not having experiences, um, then we just get stuck, right? And, and it's just, it just, it just doubles down. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving any uh, any excuses for anyone who. Who, I mean, hate is never is is never is never acceptable, um, but we've we've got to be able to sit down with with the person and be able to have a conversation to see who and what you are, 
who I am, um, and then be in turn. I, so I'm kind of going on a tangent here because I get really worked up about this. Um, when uh, after Anthony and I got married, um, we had another family, a family member for myself, an extended family member, uh, get married, and we got to go to their wedding uh, later that that year. And um, it's actually Anthony's story. If just if you want to share about that for just for a second. Yeah. So they, um, Jeff's family, who decided not to come to our wedding, and it was, I think, in part that they, I don't know if they didn't know what to expect, or maybe it wasn't like right in their belief system or just, they just didn't want to come. Um, and we went to this other uh, family member wedding and we sort of first met everybody at the wedding reception. And it was kind of like a, you know, like a warm welcome, but kind of like, I don't know, it just, there was a little bit of like, not really sure if I was welcome. Mm -hmm. So the next day we went, uh, to like the, the brunch after the wedding and we're sitting, um, there and I was with Jeff's mom at the kitchen table. And one of the members of the family who didn't come to our wedding was there and we were having this conversation. And all of a sudden she started telling me how her church doesn't believe in my lifestyle and that, um, mm. that I that her church tells her not good things about people in my community and all of these things. But I kind of like derailed that conversation and we just kind of like went on and just kept talking just about everyday stuff. And at the end of that, that, that moment, she grabbed my hand and she goes, you know, I really don't have never met too many people like you, but I'm going to tell you something. I love you. And I'm going to think about, my my perspective and you know change my ways not change my ways but you've changed my thought process and how i feel about people like you that's great yeah and i think it's sorry yeah no, go ahead. no i i was just gonna say i think you know part of all of this is it's like again it just goes back to that simple thing like we have to have these conversations we have to have visibility you know going back to that sex in the city episode that whole mm -hmm. clip I remember watching that and whenever that was, 02, yeah. 03, whenever that was, I didn't even realize they were trans right away. I just thought they were, I thought they were drag queens. Like, and, and I think part of it is we've come such a long way because we're able to have the conversation. There is the dialogue. We we can talk about who we are, you know, yeah. but it. I think we're still such a far way oh, we're, off. We're, very, we're just we're so very far. far. But it's, you know, it's important also not to have a knee-jerk reaction every time somebody says something like that. Because I can't promise I would have, wouldn't have said, well, my church doesn't believe in your hairstyle. You're still wearing it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, I think people... People are just ignorant about yeah. a lot of issues and it has a lot to do with how they're raised. And one of my first jobs working at a salon and there was a stylist that was there like that. Very kind lady. And this was, you know, before everything. I was, I think I was 13. It was like an after school program. And, um, and they knew, mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of sugar in my tank. And, <laughs> and, uh, and she took my hand one night and she was like, and she said something similar to me. She was like, you know, um, that, you know, I think you need to, you know, find God and get on a better path and, you know, very savior service. But she didn't like tell me I was going to hell, you know, and threatened me with fire and brimstone. Right, right. You know, which I appreciated you know, much later on in life, 
you know, when I actually got that treatment, you know, from some people. So uh, Nashville, you're there for seven or eight years, you said? Uh, Nashville, I was there for seven years. Seven years. Long time. Um, what, you know, in Chicago, you, you got bored or maybe you felt, maybe you felt like you'd accomplished what you could do in Chicago. Was there a similar feeling in Nashville? Yeah. Well, Nashville, Nashville, I got very comfortable. Interesting. Because we were very pampered and we were very, we were all kept women. And um, it just became monotonous for me. I didn't feel challenged creatively anymore. I wasn't, um, you know, it, uh, it was like Groundhog Day every day. You know, I'd come out in my showgirl costume and I felt like, um, welcome to the buffet at Caesar's Palace every 30 <laughs> minutes, you know. Um, even though it was a great venue and I liked, you know, the people I worked with, um, I just there was more I wanted in my life. And I started thinking about the goals I had and dreams I had when I was a kid. And I was like, well, honey, you ain't getting any younger. So if you're going to do it, you better do it now. So I, I quit my job and packed up and moved out to, to uh, Los Angeles. And I think um, in 2016, I won Miss Gay US of A, which wow. was mm-hmm. a huge uh, contest that opened a lot of doors for me. Um, and in a lot of ways, reinvigorated my national career and um and that just kind of told me like yeah girl you still got it in you yeah, no, you just have was, to go yeah, and do it that was that little push you needed or yeah you- well it was a big push yeah actually, um, yeah. yeah and uh you know when that happened um i got signed to uh, a management company out here um and i found my agent uh who um recently passed away rest in peace susan and I just saw that um, there was so much more I could do. And uh, so I, I had opportunities to do cabaret theater out in P-Town, which if you've never been to P-Town, it's a beautiful seaside resort, gay, queer mecca since the 40s. So my manager called me and she said, I've got an opening at this theater house. Can you fill 55 minutes? And it's a gig for the summer. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I have to write a whole show. I've never done this before. I didn't sing live. I didn't do anything. And I looked at the TV and it was CNN and they were interviewing Melania Trump. And I was like, oh, I got this. <laughs> and so I wrote this, this show about um, kind of like Melania. It was called Diary of a First Lady. Let Them Eat Cake, Diary of a First Lady. And it was her view of what it was like being the first lady in the White House and all the shit she has to put up with and and how torturous it is for her. And um, and it was a hit. I got great reviews. Um, we ended up touring it all over the United States down to um, Puerto Vallarta. That really motivated me to finally pursue film and television. And so then I just moved out here and the rest is history. And to anybody who hasn't been to P-Town, um, which is just a, a fun experience, uh, were you, remind me, what venue were you at? Or I was at the Post Office Cafe. Oh, which is, to anyone who has not been, that's like, that's a big deal, guys. Like, everyone listening, that is one of the, the like, the places, I saw Jimmy James there years ago. Yeah, uh, and yeah, Jimmy James did it, Barla Jean Merman. Um, Elvira yeah. got her start there. Uh, Madam the Puppet from the 70s mm-hmm. was created there. There's a lot of magic that happens there. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's, I mean, it's a tiny little little jewel box upstairs. You know, it's not like this big prolific theater, but the history. It's an institution. Of it. yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's still sequins from Elvira's 
mattress embedded in the carpet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're out selling your show during the day, right? Yeah. Like, so, so we have to if you if you have a show in town, you have to bark, and barking means you get all done up in your costumes, full drag, and you're basically walking up and down the street, handing out flyers trying to get people to come buy tickets for your show. Hmm. Um, you and, give them a glimpse it, of what the show is going to be here. And you're, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'd be walking up and down the street as the first lady and all these people are like, what the fuck <laughs> going on? You know, because it's also a very liberal town. Yeah, yeah. You know, to, so to see like Melania Trump walking around, you know, is a little jarring <laughs> yeah. at first. But obviously the show is very political. It was kind of my protest against the administration. And, I, um, and it, a lot of people got upset watching my show because I didn't hold back anything. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think people came in thinking it was going to be some tongue-in-cheek adult humor and then we just went for it. Mm. You know, it was it was graphic, sexually explicit, vulgar, disgusting. I'm trying to think of all the other reviews I got. Um, uh, <laughs> closing night, um, uh, there was a group of women that came in um, I'm assuming conservative because they were very upset when they left. And uh, on the way out, they told the DJ, one of the women said, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. So we put that on all the flyers <laughs> going forward. <laughs> the worst piece of shit you'll ever see. Um, I mean, there, there were people that came out, they would not shake my hand. Because um, mm. when when the show was over, they let you out the back and I would greet every guest that came out. And, and people were just, you could tell who would really affected and who didn't. But there were also people that came out crying, that thanked me, that who told me it was important. And really, I think that's what I my work has evolved into, is I want to do things that are important. I want to do things that are impactful and that have influence and that um, push our society to be more fair uh, for people like me. So sadly, you lost your agent a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was very shocking. Yeah, yeah. So I we need to find you an agent to make more of those things happen. Yes, yeah. I yeah. am. I am looking for a new agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to be doing a lot of um, interviews the next month. The, the wonderful thing about living in Hollywood is that literally magic can happen right. anytime, any place, anywhere. Like you that. never know who you're going to meet, what's going to happen, and it only happens if you live here. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, you'll get a call for an audition tomorrow morning that you have to be up all night learning your lines for, you know, or you'll go to a, a party and I think, uh, what was, one of the best piece of advice I got when I moved here, some guy said, if I knew then what I know now, I would have said, fuck college and just gone to after parties. Because mm. yeah. that's, that's really where, yeah. you know, all the magic mm. happens. This person w- was meeting about building the relationships. Just when he's out there listening, yeah. Assuming, right? yeah. yeah, it's it's really just about putting yourself out there and meeting people and just being your your best sparkly self. Yeah, yeah. because playing, you're, you're, yeah, because everybody here does something. You know, they could be a producer or a director and say, "Hey, I think you'd be great for this. Will you come and read tomorrow?" Yeah. I sure will. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. And that's interesting because when we talked about earlier, you know, about with casting and stuff like that, when you show up, when you're out there with these people, you're maybe one who's inspiring the role versus showing up for the role. Sure. You know, um, this just kind of goes back to earlier about talking about representation is so important. Yeah. So and representing yourself. Yeah. You know, the more, the more confidence you exude, the better you feel about yourself. That comes across. Yeah. 
It really does. And, you know, if, if you're in your head and you're worried about how you're being perceived, that shows too. Yeah, there's a block there. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to say, let it go and fuck it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's some good advice right there. <laughs> Put that on a shirt and yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with everything that's moving on now, obviously your summer plans have probably changed a little bit with what we've been allowed to do in, uh, yeah. in a safe manner. What, what, what fun stuff? You know, it's interesting. Like when anything happens, it's like, I was like, you know, you can look at it. It's like, oh, but then there's always new opportunities. So uh, I'd love to hear just like some of the cool stuff you've been able to do in the last month or so, or just in general, what you got looking forward to. You know, I um, this whole shutdown, at least for me, um, was a blessing because it's it's easy to get overwhelmed. Um, you know, especially in a big city like this, where you know uh, it's almost like you're constantly trying to scoop buckets of water out of the lifeboat as you're going down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses or just you know just trying to keep your head above water and and carve out a place for yourself. And this whole time being at home, you know, was very, um, I did, obviously did a lot of self-reflection, um, a lot of adulting, getting caught up on things that I, I needed to. And uh, and also it actually gave me a pretty good sense of community because a lot of the shows um, from the bars and clubs moved to digital. And so, all of a sudden, I was doing shows all over the country again with people, with other performers from all over the country, and just the sisterhood and the camaraderie of it um, was very inspiring. And now that we're slowly coming out of our hovels, you know, we have better relationships and better understandings of each other, you know, and, um, you know, especially among women, you know, it doesn't matter if you're cis or, or trans, um, you know, women are very competitive, you know, so there's always, even though we're sisters, <laughs> probably not going to word this right, but um, it was like coming out of it, there's none of that, you know, we just support each other and lifted each other up because we're all in the same boat. It's the coffee maker. Oh. <laughs> the coffee's, it's turning off. Coffee's ready, sisters. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Come and get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, from fresh hot tea right yeah. here. Um, <laughs> right, like hearing you say that, I, you know, all that I kept hearing was like, when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade, right? And I just feel like it, this whole situation yeah. for everybody, it's really just like what we've made out of it. You know, like you could, you could have just been sitting at home worried about what's going to happen next and when the next gig is going to come yeah. through. Especially like here, like so much of all, like all production was shut down. Yeah, and, and like, there's so many people here that work from gig mm-hmm. to gig to gig. Like, right. Like full-time employment is not prevalent here. Right. Um, you know, we, we all work by the project. Um, but, and for the first time, I wasn't worrying about those things. Yeah. I wasn't having to worry about how am I going to pay my bills this yeah. month or can I pay my bills this month? Um, you know, or meeting deadlines or, um, or, you know, just trying to maintain a social life. Yeah. Uh, it's it was a very welcome break, and I I definitely feel more centered and balanced and you know ready to just get back out there and mm. grab life by the ball. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, and and now now coming out of uh, the shutdown too, I work for a production company here, Brad Hammer Productions, where I'm the full time art director, 
And uh, we get to work with so many amazing artists, a lot of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race stars. And, um, and now we're expanding into uh, Grindr and other big corporations. And, and um, we've been doing a lot of uh, Black Lives Matter content and, and doing important things, mm-hmm. important work that impacts people. Yeah. You know? And I, I think going forward, um, I want to do things that are more um, influential and that have meaning behind them. Yeah, which is looking back and like years just just getting to to know you a little bit better today. Uh, there's something about like we were taught as children, right? Like when you when you go camping, like leave the campsite better than you found it when you go out into nature. And uh, and I feel like uh, because you've leaned in just a little bit, like you know when you've gotten those pushes when you need them, you've left at, like you've left Denver, you've left Chicago, you've left now. Na- You've left it a better place than you found it. And you yourself as an individual, you are a better person because of, of that. Who we see today here being able to do what you do today on a larger scale. And, and even now with, 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 uh, with some of the stuff that was shut down, that when you were able to, to, to come together via media with some of these people in different parts of the country, that that became available for everyone. Um, so in some ways, it's, it's been a bigger audience. And, it's been, and, and, I, and I think that there'll be some hybrid stuff coming out of this that will continue. Um, it's been such a, a fun time to be able to sit here and just also continue to watch. Like anyone who's, who's listening, or can you give us your, your Instagram? We'll put it also on, on the website. But Sure. Uh, my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff is Aurora Sexton. Perfect. Anthony and I have been really looking forward to have just spending some time with just your your beautiful human being, and I knew that coming into this. But uh, sitting you. with you in person has been um, it's just been just such a jewel. Um, you radiate just love and, and wisdom and and just joy, and uh, I really can't thank you enough for being here today. So thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot. I've enjoyed. You need to be my new publicist. Hey, we can make <laughs> yeah. anything happen. That's what we do. We get stuff done here. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, I've really enjoyed um, my time with you guys. And um, I enjoy every time I get to um, put my thoughts out in the world. And, and hopefully they, they boomerang back in the uh, form of helping others. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, guys. It just goes to show you, when you put your mind to it, anything is possible. We just love Aurora's story and hope you enjoyed it too. If you want to stay connected with Aurora, be sure to follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Aurora Sexton. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store. Thanks again for listening, and remember to be true, be you, and to talk out loud. <laughs>